Welcome back to Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm William. And I'm Sarah. And I'm Adriana. Adriana is our guest today. She is a member of our youth leadership board at TCFE. She is going to talk to us about youth survivorship today. So we're going to have a conversation about that. Some trigger warnings before we move forward. We will be talking about uh, abusive relationships and assault. Please take care of yourself. Pause the recording if you need to and join us when you're ready. So, Adriana, we are so happy that you're here today. And you are our first young person on the podcast of 2021. On this podcast, we'd like for our guest to go through some icebreakers so that we all know each other and that our audience knows you a little bit better. So first, could you tell us how or why you decided to become a member of our youth leadership board? I had attended the conference. I believe it was a conference at the Capitol last year in February with my school. And I, after hearing like all, well, everything was very interesting to me. It was very informative and I really liked everything that I learned from there. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that this had existed. It was something new that I had learned about and it's such a, a great cause. And so when I was there, I had heard um, Vivian's story and I could really relate to her. And because of that, it made me like, like, wow, like there's some other people here, like too, like I'm not, I, of course I knew I wasn't the only one, but to be able to see someone like in front of me and to hear her story, like it made it like almost tangible and almost like I can actually see with my own eyes that how far she's come and what she's accomplished and what she's doing. And so I wanted to uh, also like be a part of that. And I didn't know that there was like an opening until I had seen it on Instagram, which I had followed that day that we had gone to the conference. And then I, I had saw like that it, there was an opening available. And at first I was like hesitant. I didn't know if I was going to get it or I wasn't sure if there was a spot available for my region because I didn't know how to check for that. But I still, after talking to my, there's the, the school social worker that, that took us. And she's like, yeah, I think you can do it. I'll get you, I'll get you the letter. And I was like, okay, I'll apply. So I applied and I got it. Yes. And so we're happy. so glad that you did. You've done so much to help us plan for this month, which is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. This is our first episode of Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. And this is exactly the reason we wanted to start out with this episode, because we think it's important to not only highlight youth and their stories, but also their leadership on these on these issues. We also like to know a little fun thing about about um, each person. And Sarah, you have our fun question for the day. Yes. But first, I think it's so cool. And thank you for sharing like how you got involved, because I think a lot of times like in this work that we do, we put on these events, we do all these prevention things. And it's really cool to hear like an outcome story, like you're here because of that. And I just really appreciate you sharing that and also your braveness and having this conversation with us. So thank you. But the fun question for today, do you have any weird food combinations that you enjoy eating? Yes, I do. So, Whataburger is obviously really good. Texas is not, well, I can say, tech, everybody who comes, like, in Texas, have you tried Whataburger? Have you tried Whataburger? But anyways, I always get the number one plain and dry with cheese or with bacon, sometimes with, sometimes without. And I always get, like, a chocolate milkshake instead of the drink. And everybody, 
well, mostly a lot of people I know dip their fries in the milkshakes, but I don't know where I got it from. It just came to my mind and I dipped the burger inside the milkshake. Interesting. Yeah, it's great. Really good. So, real quick, with French fries in like a milkshake, it's great. The sweet, the salty, love it. Is that the same with the burger or is it a little bit different? Almost. I don't know how to explain it. It's just really good. And it doesn't taste soggy either. It's just like the warm and the cold together and the taste together. I don't know. The sweet, and like you said, the sweet and the salty, it may be that. I don't know. I would try it. Oh, absolutely. I do think it's weird, but I would try it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't eat it at work, though. <laughs> I eat it at home. <laughs> yeah. So just like in the privacy of your own home, you won't do it in front of people? Because people probably won't understand me. <laughs> if I'm like, what is this girl doing? Is she okay? Like, yes, I'm okay. I promise. I just, I don't know. Interesting. Okay. But now all your coworkers might know. So maybe you're free to do that. Be there. yourself. That's right. Yeah. Love it. William, what about you? Mine's not totally dissimilar. Um, So first, we'll have to establish um, the food in and of itself. Often people find weird um, or they're unfamiliar. But in the South, Southeast in particular, like Appalachia, you will often come across chocolate gravy. And people are like, oh, what's that? Like, isn't that just pudding? And it's like, no, because there's no sugar in it. It's flour and cocoa and milk. Yes. That sounds gross. (laughs) Some people put a little bit of sugar in it. Some people put butter in it. But it is like, it's a a chocolate roux. Um, Like if you are like familiar with cooking terms, like it's flour and liquid. Like it's it's a chocolate roux, essentially. Is it bitter at all? Uh, I don't think it's bitter. No, I wouldn't say that it's bitter. It's not as sweet as pudding. Uh, and so in comparison to pudding, maybe. What is the texture like? It's like gravy. Huh. Yeah, but it's is chocolate. Any, is there any gravy in it? Or no, it's just hot gravy because it's like the consistency? It, it is a gravy. So it's not it's not sawmill gravy. It's, it's I mean, it's it, that's what that is. It's flour and fat and like that's basically what that is but it's it's a chocolate gravy anyway the next question people usually have after we have this conversation is what do you put it on well so you can put it on biscuits for sure preferably homemade obviously and it's delicious you can also put it on breakfast meats such as bacon or sausage you can also put it on eggs that sounds disgusting. I know. Everybody... I wouldn't put gravy on eggs. Why would I put chocolate gravy on eggs? Why wouldn't you put gravy on eggs? Because that seems gross. Have you never had like a breakfast bowl with like eggs and gravy and like... Only with salsa, no gravy. Well, that's a whole different thing. Anyway, it's delicious. Chocolate gravy. Everyone should try it. Look up a recipe. Like I said, some have sugar, some don't. Some have butter, some don't. People have their own twists. So which one do you prefer? I don't believe uh, we put sugar in it. And if we do, it's only a little bit. It's been a long time since I personally made it, but I was home for Christmas and my grandmother made it. It's delicious. It's so good. And people are so judgy about it. And it's not the easiest thing to make because you have to you have to like stir it constantly. Otherwise, it gets too thick. If you don't put enough flour on it, it's too thin. 
it's a whole it's a whole thing um but it's delicious and it goes on any kind of breakfast goes on country ham like breakfast meats biscuits and it'll even go on eggs if you're pressed so now that we've had this moment sarah what is your food combination so i learned this from a the first person i actually met in prevention i used to work with her and she told me about this combination and I was like, ew, that's disgusting. And then she was like, just try it. So I did. And now I love it. And that is popcorn with jalapenos. To be clear, like the jalapenos that come in a jar. What is the word I'm looking for? Sliced jalapenos? Yes. Pickled jalapenos. Yeah, yeah, like sliced pickled jalapenos. The tamed ones, so they're not too spicy because let's be honest, I am a white girl and I can't do a ton of spice. But so you have to do this in a very specific way. If you put the jalapenos in the bowl with the popcorn, it gets soggy. So you have to have your popcorn in a bowl and then a separate jalapeno bowl. And you just take some a bite of popcorn and then a bite of a jalapeno. And it is incredible. I will say it's pretty good. We made fun of you for it when you first started doing it in the office. But it's pretty good. Now, you have another layer of, like, specificity to it. You only use the one type of jalapeno. Or maybe it's just your favorite. No, there is only one type of jalapeno I will eat. I don't know the name of the brand. But it's got a lot of Z's in it. Um, They're tamed. They're great. So what would you say would be the ratio to it? Like, Like, for one bag of popcorn or one serving of popcorn, how many jalapenos will you go through? Well, okay. So I... You know, when I was a server, um, I would get very frustrated with serving and definitely stole a couple (laughs) glass bowls. And I am down to two because they keep breaking. But that is the perfect. It probably is karma. (laughs) But it is the perfect amount of jalapenos. I just fill that up for one bag. And I know it's like not an exact ratio, but I typically eat two to three pieces of popcorn with like one slice of jalapeno. And when I run out of jalapenos, you can just dip it in the juice and it's almost just as good. A little soggy, but still good. It's good. I can't make fun of you because it is good. We did try it in the office, but it was strange. It is strange. And it's amazing. Anyways. If any of you try these food combinations and really like them, let us know. We'll put our prevention email in the description like we normally do. Or if you have your own strange food combinations and you want to share with us, feel free. I'm glad you said that because I was about to say that. So I would love to try some random food combinations. And when you discover the magic of chocolate gravy, thank me for it in an official letter. Thank you. And you're welcome. An official letter. Where are they going to send it? An official letter. Maybe notarize it if you (laughs) feel you must. I just learned that notarizing is kind of pricey. So maybe don't do that. Yeah, you got to know one. You got to know somebody that'll do it. That's fair. Um, Anyway, so Adriana, we are here to talk about youth survivorship. Why did you want to be on this episode? Why was it important for you? Well, I've always wanted to like find a way to like maybe inform it and also inform myself and also um, see any way that I can help others, like whether it be, well, 
I kind of want to help more like emotion on the emotional side because I know it can be really hard like to open up and to talk about things but you know it's a hard conversation but it's a needed conversation because most people are afraid to talk about it and you know maybe if there's somebody like me like I'm a young person and maybe other people can relate to me and they can see like how I saw Vivian and maybe I can find somebody out there that will look at me like that. Even if I help me just one person, that's like, that's really all I want to know, like that I help somebody, that I help somebody like get through what I'm getting through. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It does. I think, you know, abuse and assault both are so stigmatized and we are often told to not talk about it and to not discuss it because it makes other people feel awkward and they don't know what to do with it. And so I think when we do hear those stories and we do see someone coming out and talking about it, we don't feel so alienated and like dismissed, I guess, from other people. And so finding that connection can be really beautiful. And I think that's really cool and brave of you as well. Yeah. So it's almost like, like, have you heard, I'm pretty sure you've heard, you guys have heard of it, like the Me Too movement. Yeah. Like, that. like, I don't know, that movement's really powerful and I really love it that people are brave enough to share their stories and say, look, you're not alone. Because if people think they're alone, they're less likely to talk to somebody about it. And that's only really going to hurt them. And I want to like help them. Yeah, I think that that is one of the biggest challenges facing um, the domestic and dating violence movements is that people do feel and they don't know where to go for resources. They don't feel like they have social support around it. And young people feel that in a different way because they don't feel like they can talk to their parents. They don't feel like they can talk to someone at school. Like they're they're just in a different part of their life where you don't have a lot of power if you're not 18 yet. And that is a failure on a lot of our systems that don't accommodate that, that don't empower young people. And so young people just don't know where to turn when they're faced with these things. And on the last one of the last episodes we did, we we talked about this a little bit, but we don't educate young people on this eventuality that they might experience in an unhealthy relationship and what to do if it does happen. So then that's an even uh, another layer of fear and feeling alone because you don't know how prevalent it is. So what do you think some of the challenges are for young people? So I just talked about how they don't have the education and they often don't feel supported in their their homes or their schools. What do you think from a young person's perspective that people who are experiencing harm and and particularly in a dating relationship, but but even just from other young people or from adults, um, what's going through their mind and, and what are some of the barriers that they have to accessing a resource? Possibly like belief because I know many young people and like their you know their households they what they allow but they don't allow. So you know some may not be be able to date or to be to have like a significant other or sometimes their significant other is their same gender or or they don't have labels and some people don't know how to respect that. So I feel like maybe they're scared to tell somebody that they're being hurt because they're afraid that they'll get in trouble or if they'll even believe them. I think you bring up a lot of really good points. And I mean, it's hard because a lot of, and this is kind of just from my viewpoint, obviously, but we have like 
rules or regulations for our young people, like curfews and stuff to like help keep them safe. And so I think like not being allowed to date until a certain age can kind of fall under that. And I think that's kind of what you were saying of like, if you're not allowed to date or do certain things and then something happens, like you don't want to disclose that because you broke a rule and like that can be really difficult. Yeah. Or if kids are drinking they don't want to get in trouble for being at a party or uh, they certainly, I mean, in, in any situation, victim blaming is certainly a consideration. So they don't want to be like, well, we told you not to date so that, you know, this is what you get. Or we told you, you knew you shouldn't have been drinking. So this is what happens. Or why are you wearing that? Right. So I think it's easy for adults to direct victim blaming at young people because our society says that adults have more power than young people and we get to determine what young people do. We get to determine their boundaries for them. And so absolutely we need to work as advocates to empower young people to be able to establish their own boundaries. We need to work with adults to know how to wield their authority without wielding power, which is a hard thing, I think, because when I used to teach um, in classrooms, I would would talk to kids about power and control and talk to them about how none, none of their relationships, romantic or otherwise, should be one person should have more power and control than the other person to make that relationship equitable and equal. And the students also would, would often be like, well, what about the teacher? They have more power. And I'm like, well, they have authority. They have, they have with authority comes the responsibility, right? Just like your parents, they can determine your curfew because they feel like you're safe. Your, your teacher can require you to do homework because their responsibility is to make sure that you are educated and prepared for the world. But they shouldn't wield power, um, power and control, in that te- even in that teacher-student relationship. They shouldn't be threatening you with things. Now, again, there are consequences to your actions. So if you don't do the homework, then you get a bad grade. That's not a threat. Like, right? I'm going to give you a zero if you don't do your work. Like, that's different. But they shouldn't be wielding power and control just because they have authority in a situation, right? Even in, like, the adults, like, adults to adults, like, our supervisor shouldn't wield power and control over us just because he is in a higher position than we are. It's a, it's a kind of a hard conversation to have because we, as a society, don't tease those two things out. That's something that advocates seem to do is have those conversations with adults that say just because you have authority doesn't mean you can wield power and control over a young person. Yeah, definitely. And also going back to like what might be a roadblock to people getting young people or, or getting help, it might be also like the pressure they would get from their peers maybe because I know there's, you know, bullying. They might call names, you know, or you know, those names that they use, they, they can definitely be hard to hear, especially when they don't know the whole story. And so a young person might not want to share because, you know, there's ways of students finding out your personal life issues or what's going on. And they'll use it to harm you if they if they want to, which is really horrible. Unfortunately, it does happen. 
There's two things I want to ask. The first one, you know, you talk about like being bullied, the survivors being bullied after the situation. And, you know, even when I was back in high school, like 15 years ago, that's definitely the the same, was the same then. And it sounds like it's the same now. But, you know, for our Teen Dating Violence Awareness event this year, we are showing Audrey and Daisy and... One, I really look up to everyone involved in Safe Bay. I think they do an incredible job in prevention. And But that's one thing that Daisy talked about a long time. And that's a big part of their story is that their whole family was bullied after that situation and that event. And I'm, I'm curious, I guess this goes with my second part, is, you know, when I first came out as a survivor myself... It was pretty quickly after the event and I was met by my friends. I was young. I was still in high school. And I was met with what you were saying of like those, the names or what William, you said earlier of like, well, you shouldn't have drank that much or shouldn't have done that. And so there's like, that was tip of the typical response. And I think there's like a fine line because that can turn into bullying and also we, like, we don't educate young people on how to respond. Like if a friend comes to you to talk about this, um, what do you do? Where do you go? How do you connect them to resources? Who's a safe person to go to? That kind of thing. And, and so I think like sometimes those reactions can be out of fear or like a distancing because they don't want to know an abuser. They don't want to know an assailant or anything. And I was just kind of curious on your thoughts on, on that line, like the bullying versus like the fear and not knowing. You can just like maybe try to clarify your question okay being involved in this work and like having to come to terms with the responses I received and like fully understanding where people are coming from right so like we did an episode on like talking about forgiveness and how like some people need to forgive some people don't need to forgive and it's really all about part of your healing journey in my journey, it was more about like trying to understand where people were coming from. So like sometimes there was forgiveness, sometimes there wasn't. And for my friends in high school, like I think to some extent, they just didn't fully understand how to respond to a survivor or like what that looked like because we don't have those conversations. And so I don't know. I'm just curious on like y'all's thoughts on that. Like does the fear of not knowing turn into bullying? Yeah. I, I, the outcome. Hmm? Like, well, what's going to happen after, like, the outcome, like, like what's going to happen once people know what happened? Yeah, and, like, if I, so if I had a friend come to me and talk about, like, this person on the football team hurt me or, like, my boyfriend did this, whatever, that means I have to own up to know, like, owning up that I know someone who hurt my friend, and that's scary, and that can be really hard. And so when we don't know what to do with that, we can just flip it around and say, no, you're a liar and turn it into bullying. Okay. I'm caught up. I'm <laughs> caught up. All right. So yeah, I think it's easier. That's the thing is that it's easier to doubt a survivor than to confront a perpetrator. Um, it's easier to say, are you sure? Or, well, why did you wear that? Or why were you drinking? Than to establish boundaries and break a relationship with someone else. And especially when um, I've heard people say, well, they didn't do anything to me. So I'm going to try to be friends with both of you. 
And that's not the same as like if, if two of your friends break up just amicably or maybe not, but like not because of abuse and you're trying to maintain friendships with both of them, that's different than if one of them like actively abused the other. You you feel like you need to set a boundary and and that's hard to do. I also think that there is fear in... Well, if it could happen to you, then it might happen to me. So it's easier, again, to question a survivor. And, and that questioning can snowball into doubt and victim blaming. I'm glad you were able to use words to put together my thoughts. Um, and I appreciate that. So I think like, is I mean, is it just, I mean, it's just another barrier of survivors having the resources they need or finding that community and that support and Adriana, I'd love your input on this as well. Okay, I can kind of relate to it almost because when I was, you know, coming out, like trying to to get help almost like from after what was going on. Um, so for me, it was, what happened to me, it was like done by like a, like a family member. So, you know, I was kind of scared to to speak up because, you know, that person scared me. But also I was scared that, you know, they wouldn't believe me because like, no, like, that's like, I know them, like, they they don't do that. Are you sure? Like, so when I, when I told, I actually told my brother about it first and my brother, um, he was like, no, like, you're not going back. Like, I got the support from him, but you know, it was from the person that I wanted it the most that I didn't get it from. And it was my mom. So, you know, my, it was my mom, we're living with her boyfriend. And so all these things were happening. And so she she came home and she was like, are you sure? Because at the time we had like left, we weren't with them because they were having like a fight. So I ended up saying like, I can't go back. Like, I just can't go back anymore. So I told my mom and she's like, are you sure? Like, why were you always around him? Like, how come you didn't tell me? Like, I you guys were always so close. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I I don't know what, how to answer that. And then she ended up not believing me. So she's out of the picture. She, you know, she didn't believe me. She believed what he said. So now, I guess to answer like the perspective that you're asking, I understand what you mean by how it's easier to believe someone that you know than you know what's going on because kind of she didn't want to face it. And also, you know, I don't know how this happened, but I ended up being around his parents. And so they knew. I don't, it's because me and, I live with my sister now. And we had gone by his parents' house to, you know, try to find her. But she wasn't there. And so the parents ended up seeing me. And they were, you know, kind of victim blaming me. Like, no, that's not him. I know him. Like, what were you doing? All these different things. And, you know, my sister, like, you know, she, like, she, like, she was, like, in the car. And she was told him to, like, she's, like, this is she, what she said happened. So that is what happened. And so we left. And those were, like, the people that, those were, like, really the only people that I encountered that didn't really believe me, that they believed who they thought they knew. Since, like, well, it's kind of hard, like, to face it, you know? There's, there's people that take the they're surprised and they don't know how to handle it. So they're going to ignore they're going to ignore the facts to, you know, save them the hurt, the feel that, you know, like this person did this 
so I think it's kind of like, um, I don't know the word, but like they're kind of blinded by their, their relationship. And you bring up a really good point because like what I was getting at focused on young people and I mean, adults do this as well. And so, I mean, really having these conversations again with anybody of like, what does support look like is crucial. I think one of the other things that plays into adults' denial of um, young people's disclosures is the feeling, fear, or actuality that you... Failed as an adult. Yeah, I didn't want to use the term failure to protect because that means a whole different thing when it comes to, like, the child protective system. Um, But... But yeah, you feel that way. You feel like you, you've messed up, even, even if it wasn't your fault, um, because you weren't the abuser and the abuse is the abuser's fault, right? It's, it's a choice that they're making. You always wonder like what you could have done to, to prevent it. Um, and so I think that there is, it's easier um, and more comfortable to question the survivor as opposed to accepting your feelings and responsibilities in that moment. And I think that perfectly said, that's what I was trying to say, but I could not form the words. William does a great job of putting my scattered thoughts into good words. So I'm glad I can do that for you as well. (laughs) Do what I can to help. Yeah. So I also think that when it comes to a family member or, or a family friend, it brings in, in a lot of communities, there's this sense or this feeling that it will bring shame on the whole family. So there's this like collective response that like we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect our family, even though the harm is coming from within the family. And so I think that that also plays in um, often. And this whole thing is like so complicated and I mean, it's messy and it's a lot. And I think, you know, even like just thinking about this podcast and like how we met and like had a whole conversation of what we wanted to talk about. I can like, it it feels different because this conversation is hard. And a lot of that still comes from our society of silence and making sure that victims and survivors don't come forward because it's ugly and it's hard to deal with. And it's a woman's issue, right? That's what it's been portrayed as. And we don't like to talk about it. The Me Too movement was, it was beautiful and it was hard to watch coming up on all the screens and it was Adriana as you said like it was it was connecting in a way and also horrifying in another way and so you know even like there's just been a lot in the last couple of years with Brett Kavanaugh's trial the Me Too Twitter and like all of the things it's just a lot and people want to come forward and I still think we're in a place as a society where we don't know how to hold that or we don't know what to do with it and kind of circling back to why this conversation is important to you and how you want to connect with someone and help someone. I love that. And I think it's so beautiful because that is such a big part of us moving forward and healing and providing those resources and having these conversations. I don't really have a question with this, to be clear, but I just think it is really, it's inspiring. And I remember watching Vivian too. Hopefully she doesn't mind me talking about her. (laughs) But I remember watching her and just like being so impressed with the courage that she had in that moment as well. You know, Adriana, we've talked a lot about how we as a society have silenced people and not supported people. But I am curious, like you mentioned your sister being like, no, this is what she said happened. So this is what I know happened. But I'm also curious, like what, what support has looked like for you if you're comfortable sharing that? 
Yeah, support has been really good. Like other than that, everything has been great. You know, uh, my sister, she stepped up. She really stepped up. Like she took us, she took me and my two little sisters in. So, you know, she didn't have to do that. We have like, we have like this dad, he's not really present. And, you know, it's been hard, like with that, trying to get custody and stuff. But, you know, she's, she fought for us and she's like, no, they're my sisters. I, I can take care of them. And she's young. She's, she, so she took us in like three years ago. So she's 20, she's 30 now. She's when she was like 27. And, you know, she has her own kids. She has her own responsibilities, but she stepped up and she's like, I'm going to take them in. Like, I love them. I'm taking them in. And the rest of my family has helped, helped us, helped take care of us too. So, you know, they get, they got us counseling and they got us what we need and to make sure that we're okay. And it's also, you know, family has been a big help, but so has school. There's this one person, especially like, you know, all my teachers really um, like help me. Like some, some, some of them, I was comfortable enough to tell them like, this is what's going on. Like I'm sometimes I'm had sometimes I have rough days. This is why like, and they understand they help me how the best they can. They let them, they let me know that they're there anyway, like they, they're, that they're open to talk to me anytime. And there's this one, she's not a teacher, she's a social worker. Her name is Mrs. Ray. And at, since I was a freshman, I'm a junior now, she's, I was a freshman. She, you know, one day I was in PE and I remember that like the social, wants, the social worker wants to talk to you. And, you know, it was still kind of fresh what had happened. And so I was, I didn't really like going to new people and talking about it because it's a super long story and there's so much in it. And I know that they want to help me, but I just, sometimes I didn't want to relive it because it was hard. But with her, it was, I don't know, it was easy. Like she made me feel comfortable and, and heard, and she helped me the best she could. And she offered me all these resources, like counseling because sometimes we didn't have time to go to counseling on the weekend because my sister's being busy with school so she was like oh we have in in school counseling like I can get that for you and she's just been such a big help and ever since my freshman year she's there for me and she's still there for me to this day I really love her I can say I love her she's like the best that's incredible and thank you for sharing one of the things that I that I noticed that was helpful to you was it sounds like both your family and the school social worker were understanding and respectful of the fact that healing isn't linear that some days are going to be good and some days aren't and that it's not it's not just hard days and then not hard days and then better days that sometimes you get triggered by something or you have a memory that comes back or sometimes it's you just can't even identify it's just a hard day and that's part of healing from trauma and and it sounds like both at home and at school you have at least someone who uh, respects and understands that yes yes and it's really good because I know some people don't have that and that's really upsetting that that they don't have this option or they don't have this um this like family or they don't feel comfortable enough to share which is you know sometimes people like to deal with things on their own but you know sometimes it's it's good to let it out i just i hope that they can find this outlet start healing because you can it's kind of hard to do it on your own because you're just with you and your thoughts and it's easier, well, to have this kind of outlet to let yourself like express these feelings. Yeah. And 
you have found another outlet to help you with your healing, right? You're, um, you've set up an Instagram account. Yes, I do. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. I started it in August and on it, I post, you know, like sexual and domestic abuse awareness. And I had gone inactive recently because it was kind of hard to even look at the account. Like, I don't know, it's just something happened and I had, you know, these thoughts and they weren't, I just took some space from it. But I'm back now and on it, I talk, well, I tell like some stories, like there's like, I found some stories like on the internet and I told these stories about domestic violence, about child abuse. And then I gave some statistics, some motivational things. I shared some poems and stuff like that. Like to try to, I try to be very inclusive because I don't want to leave anybody out. Would you feel comfortable with us sharing your Instagram handle on our episode description? Yes. You can find Adriana's Instagram handle in the episode description. So feel free to follow her and support her in that way. That's awesome. I am. I like that you were a honest about like stepping away when you needed to be. Because I think, you know, to William's point, healing is not linear. However, sometimes when we go on like a public platform, I think it can be easy to like push away our self-care and be like, I have this thing, I need to do it. Um, and we place a lot of importance on it. Not that we shouldn't, but... It can be hard to like place importance on your self-care when you do have a public platform. What is it like for you to put importance on your self-care and your healing journey? So at first I didn't really, you know, it's, it's a growing process. It's, I'm learning every day what is good for me, what is, you know, bad for me, what is unhealthy, what's healthy. And when I see something that's bad for me, I kind of see it like real quick in a way like sometimes it starts with like these dreams so when I get these dreams I'm like okay I need to take a I need to take a moment like let me stop and let me see like what sparked this and so once I find where it came from you know I sometimes I write about it or sometimes I talk to somebody about it and then from there I'll see where I have to go because every situation is different yeah and being in tune with like what you know and learning your own like cues, like you said, your dreams. That's really that's really beautiful. I'm I'm glad that you have found that outlet and that you recognize your limitations and know when you need to take a break from it. That's why when we usually do our trigger warnings, we ask people to take a break and come back when they're ready again. Um, that's why we frame it that way because sometimes you're just not ready. And sometimes like you were saying, you, it was a good outlet for you. And then you were like, well, not right now. Um, and I think that's great. I think that that is um, a really advanced way to recognize your own healing that, that a lot of adults can't do um, when they're processing their trauma. I also want to say that um, for anybody listening, like finding a creative outlet for um, your healing can be really powerful. Maybe maybe it's creating a social media account that, that is just dedicated to processing. Um, maybe it's drawing. Maybe it's listening to music. Maybe it is shouting into your pillow. But yeah, like finding, finding the thing that works for you. And we've talked about it in an episode before. Is that like, you'll try something and it's not going to work. You got to try something else. And maybe that's not going to work and you try something else. And 
leaning into your support system to help them help you discover out, discover what that is. So I'm glad that you for now have found this way and that you're, you're back at it um, after taking a break. So um, I think that's really uh, incredible. So we've been talking about survivorship as it relates to dating violence and family violence specifically. Um, We want to make clear that, that, youth can be survivors in so many different ways. When we talk about survivorship, we're talking about someone who has experienced some sort of trauma. So for young people, that could be um, self-harm. It could be eating disorders. It could be bullying. It could be surviving a tragedy such as like a plane crash or a fire, right? those things all are traumas that people experience. And when a lot of the healing, the healing journey can be pretty similar, but a lot of the barriers to getting that help are the same because young people face those challenges in disclosing to a safe adult um, and finding peer support and knowing what to do or what the resources are, or the resources aren't targeted toward youth and their specific needs. So survivorship is a big topic and we as a society we as prevention workers need to understand that youth have all of these experiences and um, we don't need to come into uh, to a classroom of young people with like a savior complex and be like i'm gonna save all of you we need to empower them to be able to support each other we need to empower the adults in their lives to help support them we can recognize, um, Sarah, we've talked about this before, that all types of violence and all trauma, they can be connected, right? Um, So when we're working on maybe domestic violence prevention specifically, understanding that that someone experiencing bullying or uh, racism or homophobia, ableism, those oppressions are interconnected to the oppression of dating violence and domestic violence. Um, And so when we work as a community to end one of these types of violence, we really need to be working on all of them. And that sounds like such a big job, but it is, it is doable. And it's something that we all need to come together to do um, to make young people feel safe. Yes. And there's this, there's this poem that I really like and you know it it's it kind of takes a while for you to probably understand it the other ones cuz they're kind of like really straightforward i don't know but there's this there's this one part in it okay let me read it it's it's called uh, to live in the body of a survivor by Blythe Baird and it's a the, this part says um, the instructor says, cross the line if you've survived an assault. And I think to myself, did I survive it or did I just get through it? And I think that survivorship, well, this survivorship they're talking about in general, you know, I think getting through it is surviving it. You know, I, I think that if you're getting, you've been through it, you know, you're getting through it, you're learning how to handle it, you're learning how to, um, like, not fix yourself but how to improve or to get out of the emotional, like to improve your emotional state and to learn how to... Learn how to heal and how to adapt. Yes, 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 that. And I really like that. I 
I remember a long time ago, there was a conversation with people not wanting to be called survivors because I don't remember the full extent to it. But I think that that poem just reminded me of it because sometimes it is like, no, I just got through it. And that not to belittle like the strength that it takes to do that, but I do. It's different for everybody. And I think that's, I don't know. I just like it anyways. <laughs> it's like the people listening and you guys, everybody, you know, don't try to minimize your your situations. You know, you've been through stuff. It was hard for you just because somebody else might say, oh, that's not hard. You know, that's that's nothing. But, you know, it was hard for you. And so it was hard for you. So don't let others try to tell you you're not a survivor because you're getting through it. You know, you're getting through it. You know, that's really... You're a survivor, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they hear the term survivor, they think you've come out the same as you went in. Um, And and certainly experiencing any trauma, you're going to come out changed. And that's part of the healing is accepting that, that that event was significant. And it did change your life experience. It changed who you are, maybe. And you can you can heal from it 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 may take a long time and it it may not be linear like we talked about earlier but surviving doesn't necessarily mean thriving you can work towards that but sometimes it's just getting through getting through to the next day and that's okay before we move on to hopes and dreams i want to thank you for saying first of all that like you said not to not let other people minimize what we go through but also to not let ourselves minimize that. Um, I remember reading like this thing from a counselor saying like all my clients, no matter their trauma, always say, but like someone has it worse. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a baby counselor, but that still rings true with everyone I've worked with as they always say, but someone else has it worse. My situation's not that bad and I'm fine. And to your point, like what's hard for you is hard for you and you don't have to minimize that. And you can it's okay to feel that and it's okay to work through that too. So yeah, I don't know. It's just a very interesting commonality of people saying like, but other people have it worse. And I think we minimize ourselves and it's important to embrace our healing, embrace our journey and whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. And I I hear that line so much, like somebody out there has it worse, you know, And, and some probably don't mean any harm by it, but by telling yourself somebody has it worse, you know, just they're, how do I say this? By telling yourself that somebody else has it worse than you do, you are not, you're kind of not, you're kind of blocking yourself from fully seeing what you've been through. So by doing that, you don't know how to really get the help that you really need because you're saying, oh, somebody has it worse. So it's okay. I don't need help. Somebody has it worse than me. And so I think that that line can be humbling at at times, depending on the situation. But at times, it can also be very harmful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, To kind of wrap up our conversation today, we've talked about a lot of things, and I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability with us. I am would love to have a conversation about like hopes and dreams for the future. You know, we specifically are talking about youth survivors and what support looks like. And we've talked about problematic things in our culture and society. But what hopes and dreams do you have for either your future or future generations? 
I just hope that these, you know, next generations, they really, they find their voice and, and they use it. I think that's like the main thing that I'm trying to like get, like get, you know, like I found my voice, I got it, I finally got it back, you know, and now I'm using it to help others, to help myself, to do all these sorts of things. So I just want others to use their voice and, you know, don't let, don't try not to let anybody take it from you. Yeah, I love that. William, what about you? What are your hopes and dreams for the future? Such a big question. Um, I hope that we can break down and rebuild some of our systems that make it more difficult for young people to feel empowered and to feel like they have a voice in not only their own their own lives but their communities' lives. I hope that we can start to see more and more youth advisory boards for not only social justice organizations um, and social service organizations, but um, corporate organizations and um, school systems. Like, why don't, why don't school systems have a youth advisory board to find out what young people that are in their school systems need? So I hope that we can start to see the power of young people and to respect and recognize that they deserve a voice at the table. Yeah, I will say I have heard of schools trying to do that. But you I mean, you have a lot of really good points in that, like we should have youth voices in every aspect. And I like, I never thought about like businesses or corporations doing that. And that's a really interesting idea. I think for me, again, it is a loaded question. I'm like, let me ask you this thing, but I'm not ready for my own answer. You know, as a survivor myself, and also as a parent of two wonderful human beings, I I hope that parents and adults can become more comfortable and that young people know they have a safe place and that they have a safe place in general. Not everyone does have a safe place to go. And so I think just, I don't don't want to say like normalizing the conversation, but almost normalizing it. So it's not as taboo to talk about, or there's not so much stigma around so that people can access the resources and help that they deserve and need. There's a lot of hopes and dreams. I feel like we could do a, have a long conversation about this. But yeah, I hope that our culture changes and we embrace survivors of all types of violence and get them connected to whoever they need to get connected to. Adriana, we really appreciate you being here with us and having this conversation. I will personally follow your Instagram once I get that. So a reminder that we will share her Instagram handle. And so you can follow along as well. Is there any last little tidbits you would like to share before we close out? Kind of going back to like speaking your truth, like your voice, you know, your voice is so much louder than you think. Don't be afraid to say what's on your mind. You know, if you, if you can, you know, that that's kind of a, a big thing to not say what's to try not to try to say what's always on your mind. But like in the sense that it'll help somebody try try to does this make sense? Make yeah. Sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, speak your mind. Like I feel like I'm rambling. No, I, you know, I think we were having this conversation earlier about how our culture does often tend to quiet especially young people down and tell them what to do, show them where to go and not have such a strong voice. And so what you're saying to all people is 
to not be afraid to use your voice and speak up for what you need. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think especially because we're young and now everybody goes through things, you know, but I feel like now that we're younger, we we're kind of at like at the point where it's still kind of new and we're very aware and we're very open-minded. I can, I think I can say this generation is very open-minded and very like they use their voice. I, I see it. And it makes me so happy to see people speaking up for what they, they believe and, you know, um, informing others. And I really like that. That's, that's what that I'm part of this generation. Gen Z. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Gen Z. Yeah. I am so glad that you said that to encouraging people to, to share their voices and share their stories. It helps kind of brings us back around to the beginning. It helps people feel like they're not alone when, when people share their stories. And I think that that's really powerful. I would encourage any young people that are listening to, this is an activity we used to do with young people that were in shelter and in schools is, um, it's called hands are for helping, which makes it sound for like, like it's for really little kids, but you like trace your hand on a piece of paper. You don't have to do that part, but thinking of five different adults, trusted adults that you could go to for any type of help or assistance or reporting that you might need to do. Um, I think it's really important for you to, to maintain those five people and they don't have to be the same five people your entire life. Um, Once you move schools, you might have to reassess um, something happens uh, and you, you just have to reassess who those five are. We're trying to maintain those five people, those five trusted adults that you could go to. And if you're an adult, trying to be one of those trusted adults, trying to be explicit with the young people in your life to say, you know, you can talk to me about anything, right? Don't say that if it's not true, though. Let me just say that. Don't Don't tell young people like, hey, I promise you, you won't be in trouble if you're in a situation and you need help call me and then you call, they call you and then you lecture them or you yell at them or you like whatever don't do that like really try to be a supportive trusted person and say like if you are in trouble if something has happened to you you can come to me and I will believe you and we will get you the help that you need like strive to be that person on a young person's hands are for helping list that being said we are so thankful that Adriana was here today. One more thing. One more thing. One more thing. Sorry. You got it. One more thing. I just want to say, you know, if you need help, if you're any, like, any sort of teen dating violence or any kind of violence, anything that makes you feel unsafe, don't be afraid to ask for help because I know some of some may think asking for help makes you weak, but it makes you really strong to be able to say, you know, I need help. I need someone to help me. It takes a lot of courage to to say that. So if you need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. Absolutely. Thank you, Adriana, for being here. Um, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we hope that those of you that are listening feel inspired. And it is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. So look out for our social media. Um, we'll put Adriana's Instagram down below. We'll also put our so- uh, TCFV social media down below. Um, down below in the in the the description wherever you find it it's fine um and um we have a lot happening this month so we have our legislative capital day happening on the 15th this month so our policy team will be advocating for full funding throughout the state if you haven't filled out your purple postcard please do so um we'll put that link in the description as well and then at the end of the month 
we have our Young Hearts Matter at the drive-in event where we will be showing Audrey and Daisy like Sarah mentioned earlier. So if you're available, um, we had first come first serve tickets. So you can go to our, our um, social media and find that link to get those tickets and um, we can see you at the drive-in. I would also encourage you to check in with your local agency because a lot of prevention teams are doing some incredible work with Teen Day Violence Awareness Month and we'll have their own events. So check in with your local agency, see what they're up to and how you can support them too. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at a prevention email. We will be back next week with another episode centering around teen dating violence. Bye. Bye.